great to see you uh, here this morning. Uh, if you're a guest here at Providence, welcome. We're glad that you've joined us. I want to ask you to uh, turn with me uh, in God's Word to John chapter 13. If you did not uh, um, have one with you, there's, there's uh, lots of Bibles in the seats around. If you don't have one at home, uh, please take that home as a gift. But uh, it, is, uh, it is great to see you. Um, uh, we've been gone for uh, most of the last two weeks. Uh, so after 10 uh, international flights and, uh, and three continents, uh, we bring back uh, a cold, for one, uh, but also uh, a lot of greetings from families uh, who are just like you, who uh, came here to Providence and heard uh, this book uh, preached and read and taught. God burdened their heart uh, with, uh, with the truth that there really is only one way, that that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that outside of Jesus Christ, no one can come to the Father. And so they moved all over the world um, uh, and are serving in all different ways. Uh, we, um, over the last two weeks, we've seen about 15 of our families and just had the opportunity to, uh, just to hear their stories and to pray with them and to serve them. Uh, and, uh, and they uh, they are uh, amazing families. And, uh, and so we give thanks for them uh, and we also want to pray for them. And so if you would, let's bow, okay, as we do that. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this book, how it changes people's lives. God has changed my life, Lord, it's changed, um, or for most, if not all, of those in this room, it's changed our lives. And for the families who have sat in these very seats um, on mornings just like this, and have sung and then have had this book read, or they've read it for themselves and, and, and have seen your plan for the world, that you love us and that you care for us and you came for us and you rescued us in Jesus Christ. And have gone with that message to tell people who've never heard it and who have no real capacity to hear it unless somebody goes and tells them. We, we want to thank you for each one of these families. and. We pray, Father, for your blessing upon them, that you would protect them, that you would, Lord, would you provide for them? Would you give them endurance and hope? God, this week, would you give them favor with people to be able to have the opportunity, Lord, to start a friendship with new people who've never heard of the gospel, never heard of Christ and what Christ has done for us? We pray, Father, that you would give them favor that you would truly protect them, Lord, many of whom live in places where it's not legal to preach this or to even have this book. And so we pray, God, for your grace in their life. Would you save people as a result of them being there and sharing the gospel of Christ? And God, as we read it ourselves this morning, these amazing verses, would you do the miracle in each one of our lives, Lord, to help us to believe what it says, to really understand what it means for our life, but God, would you also give us the courage in our life, Lord, to break down all of the walls that would stand in front of our obedience to it, and that you would help us to apply it to our life rightly. And so, Lord, we look to you. Would you be our teacher? Would you speak through weakness? And we ask, God, that you would give Christ all of the glory. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well... Have you ever done something uh, in love with the intent to really bless somebody very specifically, and yet your actions um, uh, at first were not perceived by the recipient to be ones of love? Um, 
About 20 years ago, um, this really took place in my life. Um, it's sort of the paramount story of where I was seeking to give love and somebody else was, uh, was not thinking that that was what was taking place. Uh, about 20 years ago, I uh, 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 was in um, St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, I, I, I had a job. I wasn't paid a whole lot, but I took all the money that I had, and I went and I bought a ring and a plane ticket to Paris in order to go and ask Tabitha to marry me. And uh, uh, at the time, uh, she uh, was from Georgia serving the Lord overseas in West Africa. And uh, her family had made plans to meet and celebrate Christmas in France. Okay? Her sister was in France already. And, uh, and so their whole family went there. And in about 14 days before that plane ticket said that I need to get on that plane, uh, I wasn't planning to go. Um, and, uh, but about 14 days prior to that, I made plans with her mother and dad, um, to, to join them, but also to surprise Tabitha. And so I had 14 days basically to mobilize all the resources that were within my reach in order to accomplish this, which was my time, which was vacation time, which was like seriously all of my money. And, and, um, uh, and I did so enjoy, it, it, was, it was an amazing time. But what was interesting is during that time, ironically, um, when I would call her on the phone uh, and she'd ask about my day, I, 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 there's nothing that I could really tell her. And so I became very aloof. And so what was so ironic was at the very moment when I was mobilizing everything that I had in order to draw her near, she was thinking that I was drawing away that I didn't really want to talk to her and that I didn't want to share what was going on with my day. And so it was really a fascinating scenario. And what we find here in John 13 is something very similar. See, at the very start of the chapter, Jesus is with his 12 disciples and they're at a table. This is the night before he's going to be killed on a cross. He's going to give up his life for us. And there he notices that they're still arguing who's the greatest. And so he gets up and he takes off his outer garment and he gets a basin of water and he goes and he begins to wash each of their feet. The greatest became the lowest in order to serve the lowest to bring them up. And and then he says, this is an example that I give to you. I want you to follow me in living like this. It's interesting, then Jesus, as we keep reading through the chapter, he identifies Judas as the traitor. And now here in our text, it's really fascinating, is right after he says, I've set an example for you, I want you to follow me now in doing this, Jesus is going to say in our text, I'm going to be going somewhere and you can't follow me. And for these men who've been following him now for three years, they look and they perceive it as if he's drawing away. And yet he was drawing away specifically because he had to go and do something that only he could do Only he could go to that cross. And in doing so, even though the perception was that he was going away from them, he was actually drawing them close. And so let's read it. Starting in verse 31, it says, When he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. 
a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So two things that I want you to see here. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross in his conversations with his disciples, two things for us. Number one, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, is that Jesus endured the cross alone. He planned to endure the cross alone to draw us near. This is such a gift because we could not come close to the Lord. We could have no confidence in drawing near to the Lord had he not done this. But Jesus says, little children, yet in a little while I, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews before, so now I'm going to say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. It's an interesting thing because when it actually took place just a few hours later, which in John represents a few chapters later, we get to John chapter 16. And in John chapter 16, verse 32, Jesus will say, The hour is coming, indeed it has come. It is right now when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. So Jesus, whose sovereignty knows all things, he knows what's directly in front of him. He also knows things about these disciples. And so you have to ask the question, why could they not come now? He says, one day you will follow me down a path, but not tonight. Now, why not tonight? I think there's two reasons that we see in the text. The first reason is because they weren't strong enough yet, and Jesus knew that. He knew that they were not strong enough yet to endure the challenges that they one day would endure in order to be associated with Jesus Christ. This is sort of like when a father who's a weightlifter, he, he's at the gym with his little son, and his son looks at all the weight that he's lifting, and he says, Dad, let me try, let me try. And Dad says, Son, one day you'll be strong enough to lift this, but not now. You're not ready yet. What's interesting is, as we keep reading through the Scriptures, is that these 11 men... They would grow strong, so strong that 10 of the 11 gave their life for Jesus, believing in him as the only way, the truth, and the life, and going out, and they were martyred. They were persecuted for Jesus. One day they got there, but they were not there this night. But Peter, Peter always had a hard time with God's timing. He says, in essence, Jesus, I disagree. I think I am ready. And he says, where are you going? And Jesus says, Peter, look, you cannot follow me now. That you'll be able to follow me afterward. And Peter responds, well, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus responds, really, will you? And then he says these unique words that John uses frequently in order to get to Jesus' main point. And it's truly, truly, I say to you. It's sort of like Jesus walking up to Peter, grabbing him by the ears, 
and focusing to where his eyes are directly in front of his eyeballs. And he says, Peter, I want you to know something. Before the rising of the next sun, you will deny any association with me three different times. We read the story in two times. It's by a little girl. He's so intimidated by a little girl asking him, are you, aren't you one of his disciples? Don't you know Jesus? And Peter three times will say, no, I have no recollection of the man. I, I was not his follower. He denied him three different times. Jesus knew that this would take place. Of course, Peter was not alone. For that very night when they would go out to the garden, sure enough, they were all scattered and Jesus was alone. But there's a second reason why he had to do this alone. And it's because Jesus had to cut a path to God so that we could later travel that path. And this is the amazing thing of what God has done. You see, God's word tells us that the entire world has been infested with thorns and thistles. It's a curse of the fall that when we rebelled against God, the world spiritually began to look like this picture. It was a jungle to where God was on one side and we were on the other side. And we had no map. We had no capacity to get there whatsoever. And so what the Bible says is that Jesus came from heaven to earth as the Son of God. And he lived a righteous life. And in living a righteous life, he was able to do what only he could do. And so Jesus went through this path on this night. He's saying, I have to go. I have a, I have a sword with me and I'm going to cut a path. I'm going to cut a channel through this spiritual forest that you cannot travel. And in doing so, When I get to the end and I get to my father, I'm going to be able to turn around and say, okay, now everybody, everybody who believes in me, walk this path by faith. I have to do this alone. This same conversation of where Jesus are you going will continue next week when we get to John chapter 14. He's going to say, look, guys, in my father's house, there's many rooms. If I don't go, I can't prepare a place for you there, but I'm going to prepare a place for you there. And then he gets to verse 6. And John chapter 14, verse 6 is the verse that we're memorizing as a church family in January. So let's say it as a church family. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus is saying, guys, listen to me. You cannot follow me tonight because I need to die for your sin first. I came to the earth for this purpose. See, no one else has walked the earth without sin. No one else is the Son of God. No one else can remove my Father's wrath that's now directed at you except for me. I have come down to walk this path tonight alone in order to make the way to my Father for many. But once I have cut this trail, then I'm going to call you to follow me by faith. And afterward, you will follow me, Peter. See, Jesus, he endured all of what he endured. He did it alone. And he did it alone in order to draw us near. At the very moment that these disciples felt like Jesus was going away from them, he was actually drawing closer to them than he's ever been. Cutting a channel for them to be able to come to him. And in coming to him, to come to the Father. And so, by way of application, I think two things are pertinent to us. Number one is this, is... Let's trust Jesus and draw near to God. Do you see that you are loved? Some of you don't feel loved this morning. You feel alone. You feel rejected, abandoned. You need to know that you are loved. 
You are loved. You see, Jesus endured the abandonment of all of his friends, of all of his disciples, and he also endured the separation of his own father for you. See, while Jesus hung on that cross, he said to the Father, 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 why have you forsaken me? He's done all of this for you and for me. He died between two thieves for us. He died for our sin as a substitute for us. And when he rose from the dead, he said to us, now follow me. You see, nobody else has loved you like I have loved you, so follow me. No one else has dealt with your sin issue but me, so follow me. Nobody is as committed to your life and your good and your blessing than I am, so follow me. Nobody can help you navigate your imminent death but me, so follow me. And in following him, Jesus says that this very act and our faith constitutes of Jesus being glorified in ways that perhaps we don't have the stomach to even accept. It's an amazing thing what he does here. Look at verse 31. At the very moment that Judas walks out of the room after being called the traitor, and he goes with evil intent in order to bring Jesus to their hands and so that he would die, Jesus uses the word now. Now is the Son of Man glorified. This is an amazing thing if you think about it. That the most concentrated, colorful display of the glory of God is seen in the cross. And what Jesus is saying is, is once Judas left the room to go and betray Jesus, that the wheels of the gears began to spin that was going to make the cross an imminent reality, that this was going to happen, and it was going to happen tomorrow. And so Jesus says that not only am I right now being glorified, but my Father is being glorified. And the reason for this is that the glory of this night was the imminent triumph of a salvation that God the Father and God the Son had planned before the creation of the world in order to bring you and me home. Jesus knew what was going to take place. You and I love glory. We love glorious things. We love a sunset and a sunrise and mountains and oceans and waves. We love color and art and sculptures. We, 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 we love people. We love relationships. And all of these things are displays of his glory on the earth. But what Jesus is saying is this, is that if you want to see the most concentrated display of my glory, you will see it when I came to this earth. And when I hung on a cross as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He did this so that we could draw near. And so if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you're banking on your righteousness today in order to get you to God. You're thinking that you can cut through the spiritual forest and make it there. The Bible tells you that you can't. But the Bible also tells you that you have a friend that sticks closer to, the bro- to you than a brother. His name is Jesus, who came to rescue you, who came to die for you in order that you could know him personally. And for those of us who know him personally as our Savior and Lord, the invitation is still the same. Draw near. He wants to be with you. 
He wants to be with you this morning. He wants you to interact with him. He wants you to talk to him. He loves to hear your voice. And he wants to speak to you through his word. He's done all this. It would be an absolute tragedy for us not to draw near. The second thing, though, I want you to see by way of application is that we should put away self-reliance and walk together. You see, the first point speaks to the fact that Jesus has done all of this for us. We need to go to the Father. And the second point of the application says that we need to go to the Father together. That this is his plan. That love and relationships and accountability are part of the journey. You see, Peter thought he was so strong, didn't he? He thought that there's nothing that can take place tonight that's going to shake my confidence enough that I'm going to deny you. He says, I will even die with you and for you tonight if need be. It's an interesting thing, though, that we can read in Matthew's account that there was a few other parts of the conversation that John chose not to include that I want to read to you. In Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 31, this should be on the screen for you, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Jesus said, You're all going to fall away. And Peter looks at the Son of God and says, Not going to happen. You can count on this, Jesus. I will be with you to the end. If it means I have to die next to you, I'll die next to you. Not only was he pretty confident in his own abilities, but he was also very comfortable in his isolation. What a tragic thing to say in front of your friends. Though all of these fall away, Jesus, it wouldn't surprise me either. They're a bunch of boneheads. Even if they all fall away, one thing you can count on is this. I'll still be there. In other words, I don't even need them. I can travel this path with you alone. I don't need the loving encouragement and accountability. I don't need people praying for me. I can make it alone. It's an amazing thing that many of us feel the same way. We live our life without the mutual companionship of other people that help us to run together to the Lord. Have you ever seen these bike races? They go like 20 day, you know, the France one. That's France, right? Yeah, it is. I got all these amazing riders. I mean, it really is an amazing thing. And, and every day, it's sort of the same narrative, right? You have a big group of people it's called the peloton and then you have a few people that try to break away in order to win the race all by themselves but the people in the front they have to endure all the wind themselves right so when they break away it's sort of a risk they're 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 saying you know if i can win this stage then then perhaps i can i can win this thing and and yet at the same time it's a risk because they're doing it in isolation 
And so every day of the, this race, this peloton, right? Here's a little shot of them. They chase after these, these, these rogue riders who are trying to do it alone. And if, if you think about a peloton, right? And these guys are like, they're really going fast. It doesn't look like it right now, but they're really going fast. And if you think about it, they're probably bumping into each other. They're probably like getting on each other's nerves because somebody's riding too close to another. Just like life, just like friendship. But it's interesting that if you're in the back or in the middle, sometimes you don't even have to pedal because the wind literally wraps around and it, it, and it actually begins to push you from behind. So that if you're in the peloton, not only can it go faster, but the majority of people don't have to work as hard. They even take turns going to the front because the guys in the front have to take on all of the wind resistance. It's the same thing with the family of faith. Some of you are trying to ride alone. And you face all the resistance alone. And this is not his plan. His plan is that you would be a part of the peloton, which is a local body of believers where people know you and where you know them. Where people pray for you and you pray for them. Here at Providence, we organize in smaller groups where that can take place. It's called life groups. And at the beginning of this year, we want to just put before you an invitation that if you're not a part of a community of people who know you, pray for you, and who love you, and whom you can do the same to them, would you consider being a part of the race and running and living and walking in a way that God has designed you and me? God has designed this race to be run. Would you consider walking together? Well, the second thing I want you to see is that Jesus endured this cross alone to enable us to love. It's a beautiful thing that God loves. Love for us has always been a part of his plan because we're created in the image of God who loves. So when we love, we're simply putting forth a display, a manifestation of our creator. When we care for people, when we're patient with people, when we're generous to people, when we sacrifice for people, we're displaying a little glimpse, a shadow of who he really is. Love has always been his plan, and yet when we sinned against God and broke fellowship, we continued to love. We just loved in the wrong direction. Our heart and our capacity to love was unaltered. What was altered was the direction and the target of our love. And so instead of loving God and each other perfectly, we just began to love each ourselves with all the love that we could muster. What's interesting, though, is when we love ourselves in that way, we become very selfish and sour. And other people look at us and say, that person's not very loving. Actually, we're still loving a whole lot. We're just loving the wrong things. It's interesting that the Bible actually says... In Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, God says that you could sum up the entire Old Testament and every command and instruction that I've ever given you in just two commands. Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a beautiful thing. And yet it's interesting that at this very moment, once Judas left, once the wheels of the gears started to spin and all of a sudden it was time for Jesus to go to the cross, he says, a new commandment that I give to you. And you say, well, how is this new? Because the command to love is not new. All the way back, all the way back in um, Leviticus, we actually read, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked a question. What's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the second command is similar. It's like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the command to love is not the new commandment that he's giving here. The measurement of our love is what's new. Did you notice in both of those, it says the measurement of our neighbor love is our self-love. Love others as you love who? Yourself. So as you enjoy a coat when you're cold, if you see somebody else who's cold, maybe you should work to seek to get them a coat. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, but a new commandment that I give you. He says, and now instead of using your measure, your, your love for yourself, your commitment for your good as the measurement of how much love you give to other people, he goes, here's a new measurement. He says, love other people as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Well, how has he loved us? Well, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 2, it says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Romans 5.8 says that God displayed his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. So Christ's love is displayed by two different adjectives. One is sacrifice and one is grace. In other words, there is no such thing as Christian love without a price. He says that he gave himself. In other words, you and I cannot love as Christ loved us without it costing us something. But he also says that it has to be marked by graciousness. In other words, he says that we were, while we were still sinning, he did all this for us. In other words, it was undeserved. That when we love other people, oftentimes we choose to love people when they're lovely. We choose lovely people to love as we love ourselves. What Jesus says is, no, you need to choose people who actually are unlovely who are not deserving of such. And even at the moment when they're not deserving of such, you still love sacrificially as I have loved you. You got to ask the question, well, how is this even remotely possible for us to love like the Son of God? But John picks this up in his first little letter, 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, this is what it says. It says, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him, that is Christ, and in you. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness, and whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Now when it says there, which is true in him and in you, it marks the biggest mark of distinction of what love is in the New Testament, and it's this. Love is not what takes place outside of you, but what takes place inside of you. It's not so much what we do, it's who we are. And so what he says here is that when we're loving in this kind of way, when we're trusting Christ with our life, he says that we are literally abiding to the light. We are abiding to the vine. See, when you and I trust Christ, we're like branches that are grafted into the vine. Or maybe like an appliance that's plugged into the wall. And all of a sudden, this appliance, which has the great capacity to do something special, if it's not plugged into the source of power, it can do nothing. It's the same thing with you and I. Apart from Christ, we're not enabled to love like Christ loved us. 
But once we are connected to Christ by faith and his spirit is working within us and we're grafted to him, the vine, all of a sudden, God makes it possible for us to live and love in new and startling ways. And this is why at the end, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, Jesus is saying something that's so critically important. He says, guys, you guys know that you're marked as my followers because people see you following me around the wilderness in Judea. But the time is coming really shortly where I'm not going to be around here physically for you to follow around. So the mark of your distinction is not going to be that you walk with me through Judea. The new mark of your distinction is that you're going to love like I love people when I was on this earth. You see, Providence... What Jesus is saying is that people are going to know us as his disciples, not by our programs and not by our events and not by our buildings and not by our books and not by our sermons and not by our scholarship, but by our love. So by way of application, let's show ourselves to be his disciples by our love. See, these are crucial days for us as a body of believers here. We're doing a great number of things programs and events and new ministry endeavors and building and mission trips. and As we do all that, I want to encourage you to remember to lean in to love. To love one another and to love people outside of this building. You see, I want to encourage us to lay down our preferences in love for one another for the sake of unity. I want to encourage us to continue to lay down our parking spot and our resources and our time for one another. I want to encourage you to love across racial lines. I want to encourage you to love the weakest among us and the oldest among us and the youngest among us and those with special needs among us and the widows among us and the orphans among us. For while it is absolutely certain that our love will not atone for anyone's sin, when we do love as Christ loved us, we display and manifest the love of the one who can. And God has given us an amazing gift called the Lord's Supper that we get to do right now. That he gave us to profess this very thing, our love for him and our love for each other. To remember his sacrifice that he went and did this for us alone so that we could be brought near. So if those of you who will be serving us, if you want to go ahead and stand and head back to the back to get ready. The supper, as you know, it consists of two elements, bread and the cup. And the bread is symbolic of his body and the cup symbolic of his blood. To take of this, it literally means what you're saying is that you're confessing to other people around you that you're acknowledging Jesus as the savior of your life. To hold this bread and to hold this cup, it literally is a confession of your faith and your sin. It's interesting that for those of you who have started the the plan to read through the scriptures, We read on Friday, Jesus said the words, he says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. There's a lot of ways to do it on the earth, and one of the ways is to take the Lord's Supper. Because when other people in this room see you holding those things, you're acknowledging, you're saying, I am associating myself courageously with Jesus Christ, and I don't care who knows. So for those of you who have yet to trust Christ, we would ask you to pass these along. But if you have trusted Christ, we welcome you to the table to take. I'm going to pray to, uh, here. And, and then as they're being passed, I would encourage you to do just what Paul told us to do in 1 Corinthians. And that is to first ask God 
to look into our heart and see if there's any unconfessed sin in our life, to examine ourselves. And if God reveals something to you, then you confess that to him because we want to take this with a clear conscience. So if you would, let's bow and let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your incredible love for us. God, without it, we have no hope. But with it, we have all the hope in the world. Jesus, you've been good to us. We acknowledge that you came to rescue us. And so as we take of these elements, we pray that you would stir our heart afresh with affection and with faith and with love for you and for each other. We acknowledge you and we trust you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.